from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast for the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Today, I get to talk to my good bud, Jim Pelly. Jim is a former president of the association. Um, he is uh, the director of fun for his own company, LaughterWorks, and he also is one of the original writers for the original Saturday Night Live, which I, hopefully we get to talk about a little bit today because I'm really stoked about that. So welcome, Jim, to LaughBox, man. I'm, I'm, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to share, you know, share yourself with us today. Happy to uh, jump in and provide any help and fun answers I can. <laughs> so let's you know, go in the Wayback Machine a little bit. On you know how you first in in how you first got involved in the whole humor laughter thing. I mean, what's what what's your story? I was born one of the five funniest children in my family. Uh, we'll speed the story up. Uh, actually, usually a, a funnier line would be, "I was born the least funny." How's that? There we go. Um, <clears throat> But uh, my, my interest in humor, uh, actually, even at a very young age, I, I, second, third grade, I used to uh, imitate people. I don't want to put myself too far back in an era, but uh, Laugh-In, the Smothers Brothers comedy show, um, the Flip Wilson show. Absolutely. I then used, yeah, I then would go out on the program and do borderline inappropriate humor <laughs> for an unappreciative audience of third graders. And uh, so I've always had an interest in, in humor. My dad, uh, extremely uh, funny and clever, but it was in college for me where one, I started doing stand-up comedy, open mic night in, and this would have been early eighties. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I had an opportunity. It was interesting. When I was in college, I was still an undergraduate, and there was a graduate-level seminar uh, called The Role of Humor in Communication. Uh, it was a Communication Studies 196M, uh-huh. and uh, that was here at uh, my alma mater, California State University, Sacramento. But it was a graduate-level seminar, so I went in and I, I talked with a professor and I said, um, hey, I'm interested in, you know, humor. I'm doing stand-up comedy. I would love to take the class, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not in graduate school yet for a number of years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, absolutely. Uh, I need a TA, <laughs> so <laughs> you're it. And that actually turned out to be the perfect place rather than being in the class per se, uh, I got to be his research assistant and uh, learned a lot of the role of humor in persuasion, in uh, message content. So I, I kind of came at it <clears throat> from a very analytical point of view during the day uh-huh. and then uh, live stage in the evening. And I found uh, during the day to be more interesting. Uh, not that being in front of a, 
at the time, smoky room with drunk people isn't a great place to be. But, you know, stand up and open comedy mic night, you probably drink more beer and owe more on your bar tab than you're paid right. uh, to do stand up. So I started studying, uh, I wanted to know about the persuasive content of humor. In other words, if a, um, in a radio commercial or a TV commercial, if they used humor, did they sell more widgets? Mm-hmm. And uh, I uh, was able to direct research in, in that way, and we found conclusively that the answer was maybe. Clearly <laughs> 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 more... <laughs> more more research dollars are needed at the university level uh-huh. and and we were able to do some fun practical pranks on campus we would watch some of the old uh, candid camera uh, stuff that Alan Funt uh, did and and we would replicate that on campus one uh-huh. of my favorites was a, a mailbox and people would put mail in, somebody would be in the box, throw the mail out and say, no, thank you. Nice. You know, not, not rocket science, uh, but nine out of 10 people will then talk to the mailbox. <laughs> that fascinates me. <laughs> That's even funnier. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, um, and a very similar to, you know, what happened on, on the Candid Camera Show. One of my favorites um, we put a, a very large um, professor teacher's desk in the library elevator. And of course, when the doors open and people, you know, went to step on, there was very little room. Mm-hmm. And, and almost initially people would go, oh, no, I'll get the next one. And they're like, no, no, come on in. It's not a problem. You know, and those kinds of things and how people react to me are the essence of humor. I've always thought the best humor was unscripted and improvisational and what happens when people are confronted with uh, delight, mystery, Uh an experience they can't quite comprehend, Uh, then that's kind of the the genesis of uh, true laughter. So back in my era, I connected with uh, people like Bill Fry at Stanford University and uh, Lee Burke and all of you know the early researchers. I even had the opportunity to to go and and meet uh, with Norman Cousins. Oh wow! Um, he um, he used to be a subscriber to my newsletter. I could say that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> that is cool. Uh, yeah, and um, you know when his book uh, Anatomy of an Illness came out, we promoted it through the new newsletter and and became you know, friends. It was uh, not like he called up and said, Hey Jim, you want to come over to dinner? Uh, (laughs) But we had a bit of a a camaraderie Mm -hmm. um, early on, you know, now you and I are talking It's 30 years later, pretty much everybody has heard the phrase humor in the workplace. But back then, Chip, there wasn't even casual Friday. (laughs) (laughs) So bringing a, high-priced consultant in to talk about the value of humor, um, it was unique. And uh, so early on for research for the humor class, like I say, uh, went and spent a week or almost a month with people like Joel Goodman and 
you know, kind of the early, early founders of the field. And, and that's how I met Allison Crane way back when. And she said, I have an idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to start an association. And, you know, we wanted to support her efforts. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of my, my history into humor. Never truly thought it would be a lifelong career. Right. Uh, it's a little odd uh, what we do when we, you know, get paid to promote humor in the workplace. But uh, for me, it's been a, a fabulous, fabulous journey. Well, you brought something up. I mean, 30 years ago, you're right. Nobody <clears throat> ever talked about humor in the workplace and it was kind of unheard of in that we've kind of made this shift. And I was talking with uh, another person that's been in the business a long time, Steve Wilson, not too long ago, where he was talking about how yeah. it's really become so much more mainstream that it's not really as uh, ris risque to bring somebody in to, 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 and pay them to, to share the, to share the message. Yeah. In fact, you know, I met um, Steve and Pam <clears throat> uh, when I went back. Joel Goodman used to do a, a week-long uh, retreat up at uh, Sagamore in New York. We called it Sagimore because it rained every day. And, 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 you know, there were maybe 20 of us who paid a couple hundred bucks to sit at the feet of the master and learn what little uh, – academic research was available, but I always got a kick out of Joel because even at the time when I was at Sac State and researching humor, the people who talked about humor weren't very funny. <laughs> you know, they were, they were true academics and, and Joel was kind of like right on the, the bubble. You know, he was kind of funny and clever, but kind of, you know, that professorial, nerdy, you know, here are the, here are the 10 steps and let me give you an outline. Um, but, uh, Steve and I, uh, connected there. In fact, later we went on, uh, LaughterWorks used to have a, a program called humor in the hills. And, uh, we had, oh gosh, people like Karen Buxman and Terry Paulson. And I'm sure there's a bunch of names I'm forgetting come out. And, you know, we did a weekend version of what Joel did for the week. And then, after I did one or two of those, Steve and I joined in on a couple awesome. and did those for a while. Um, but, you know, I think it's anybody who's in this field, they have a love and an appreciation for people discovering and using more humor for all of its benefits. Right. Uh, physiologically, psychologically, uh, you know, productivity. But, you know, now it's so different. Uh, you know, the workplace, I don't want to say embraces it, but you get to a point, uh, you know, where the calls just kind of keep coming in and your client list builds and the magic happens. The, the magic happens. Awesome. Have you had the magic happen yet, Chip? Um, I'm still waiting for the, the uh, Tinkerbell to sprinkle that magic. Now, how, what was it like? How did you, uh, the whole Saturday Night Live thing happen? I mean, that's, uh, to me, fascinating. You know, and what was it like, you know, working in that kind of group? Because, I mean, I spent a year down in Second City. I didn't take any of the writing courses, but I'm certainly familiar with, you know, the, the, the mystique of uh, those people that would go on to the, 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 big, the big show. So, I mean, how did that all work? Oh, yeah, lots of mystique. 
mystique, lots of mystery, lots of drugs, lots of uh, trouble. Um, you know, again, kind of following with our theme of it was such a different time. Um, you know, when, when Lauren Michaels was shopping Saturday night around, he, he went to the, the number one network of the era. And again, we're going back to the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, if I recall correctly, uh, and I, it's funny in a workshop, people will challenge me. Oh no, no, you're wrong. You don't know. But, um, CBS was the number one network. And I think Gunsmoke, uh, was number one. Can't remember if Carol Burnett was in the mix yet, but you know, mm-hmm. a young Lauren, why not start at the top? Uh, cause that's the best place to hear. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, variety shows are dead. And uh, what you don't understand, Mr. Michaels, is Saturday night is, is date night. <laughs> uh, people aren't at home. They're not going to watch TV. And, and he said, fundamentally, you're wrong. He, he said, there are more losers in America than you may be aware of. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of people at home, and they buy soap, and they will like this show. And, you know, CBS said, don't let the door hit you on the way out. So walks over to number two, you know, ABC and tells his story. And they said, not interested. And of course, NBC was beyond last, not quite PBS at the time, but darn close. And they said, oh, we got nothing. Sure. Why don't you go ahead? And sure enough, there were a, a, a tremendous number of losers in America that were home to watch our show and they did and you know every year you heard the same thing you're probably going to be fired the show will be canceled so you know always be on the lookout for that next job (laughs) uh but my my role not nearly as glamorous it is a great resume credit uh but a contributing and you're getting stuff on the air and uh, isn't much of what came out on the air because it was a live show right. and uh, you know the the actors were given and rightfully so tremendous license to in the moment uh, you know nobody ever checked back with them at the end and went gosh you went way off script John Belushi what were you thinking mm-hmm. you know at last you move on and and every actor and every writer working in some type of a team or alliance is hoping to be the skit that everybody talks about on Monday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the money shot. If you get that and you get more airtime and, you know, then people would springboard off the show. And as you know, some springboarded to, uh, Great Heights did a lot of movies, totally changed their career, their household names to this day. Mm-hmm. There are people from Saturday Night Live, and you mention their name and like never heard of them. For example, right. Jim Pelly, never heard of, don't know. Um, <laughs> so, you know, but I, I have to say, I found, well, yeah, Chip Lutz knows him, but geez, whatever, come on. <laughs> uh, Steve Wilson knows him. Uh, that you know, I say what I do, what what we do uh, now is so much more impactful because it's not just giving you know 
everybody loves a good comedy show and a good laugh, and that was amazing. But if you can really give people tools and skills and add value to their life, I think, you know, my my rewarding moment now is I run into someone, and you probably have heard this. It's, it always fascinates me. Someone goes, I heard you speak 15 years ago. <laughs> and... Um, you said, <laughs> and then they, you know, they tell the story or they tell the point you were trying to make. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, to me, that's a life well lived. It's like, wow, somebody remembered what I said 15 years ago. Right. I brought back humor stories that I've stopped telling just because I got tired of telling them or they were kind of outdated. You know, I used to talk about the, the Reagan Mondale debates. I mean, that was one of my original bits. Right. <laughs> You know, now two thirds of my audience, they still know Reagan, but they're like, who, you know, what (laughs) are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. And so now you can tell the joke, but you've got to give it context and paint the picture or their loss. Right. You know, one of the great, oh, well, let's get into some value. One of the great rules of humor, immediacy, It, it has a time frame that we can relate to. And, and you'll see this when you go to comedy shows, you know, comical say, you know, the funniest thing happened on the way over here. Right. When I flew in yesterday, very few good bits start with, you know, six and a half years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not there. See? Right. Even yeah, I had to milk the laugh to get it out of you. No, no, um, that was, that was 24 funny. years ago. No, it's good. But they'll say that. True. And, and comedians just consistently, but there's something about humor when it's closer to us in time or space or uh, that. So, you know, it's much funnier to reference, you know, if you were going to do political humor, a, a Trump and Hillary, because everybody has a, a recent frame of reference. Right. Very few people could name Ronald Reagan's running mate. But you can still patch the joke or the bit together if you describe Walter Mondale. Right. You know, you give, you give the context and you share, you know, that he'd had a charisma bypass. Um, <laughs> next to him, drying paint looked exciting. Uh, whatever. Sounds like you're, I got a million of them. you're, you're talking about uh, Mike, <laughs> Mike Dukakis. Yeah, another person nobody remembers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why our whole comedy tour where Jim and Chip talk about uh, Mondale and Dukakis, we didn't sell all the tickets we had really hoped for. <laughs> right. We throw a little bit of Geraldine Ferraro in there, too, just for just for. I giggles. knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and, and didn't it bother you, even though she was a vice presidential running mate, I don't think she got the respect she deserved from Sarah Palin. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Absolutely not. So, you know, with all that background, I mean, certainly gave you a good footing for what you're doing now. Can you know, share a little bit about, you know, uh, Laughter Works, and your, what you do with Director of Fun. I mean, you know, what, what are some of the things you share with people when you go out there on, you know, how to make humor a part of their lives? I like that director of fun. I don't know that I use that title, but it must be on some website or something. It is on your somewhere. website. It is on your website. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I did. I did. My I don't due, know those people really well. I did my due diligence. <laughs> okay. Good. It's on. 
Well, you know, if it's on the internet, Chip, it must be true. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, you'll appreciate this. Um, my CPA told me when I started, he said, don't ever use owner, uh, CEO, that. He goes, use a lesser title. And I came up with director because I kind of always wanted to be a director. Mm -hmm. And um, so director of fun early on, I think I was director of everything because, you know, it's so glamorous in this business. One day you're on stage in front of a thousand people at a sales meeting, you know, the Ritz Carlton in Maui. And then the next day you're washing your own car, mowing your lawn, taking out your own trash, (laughs) uh, fixing dry rot, (laughs) whatever it takes. You know, I always, I would always think, gosh, does Wayne Dyer, does he mow his own lawn? You know, does, does, I don't know if Tony Robbins paints his own house, but you know, anyway. Or gives the dog a Um, bath. Well, geez, Chip, even I don't do that. We have, you know, dog bath things here in California. Oh, they haven't made that, they haven't made Um, that uh, inroad into Wisconsin yet. We still all do all our own dog dog bathing. Yeah. (laughs) We, we can get, we, we, can get you a Sparkles franchise, I'm sure. It's <laughs> S. Barkles. Um, Seriously? I didn't know there so, was such a thing. That's awesome. Uh, what was the question? It was re- what you do. Uh, there is, in fact, a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine from the Rotary Club started uh, dog bathing. You know, they sell dog food and that, but they have these stalls where you can go in and wash your dog and they have all the goodies and all that kind of stuff. I'll totally hook you up. Thank you. Thanks so much. I'm here to help. <laughs> so, so what was what is the, the question I'm answering? Question was, Where are we now? When you were, hey, what you do now with laughter works when you go out and you know share the, ah, the humor, the humor word, share the love. Yeah, uh, I talk specifically about humor and its role within three areas: within the role of leadership in an organization within the uh, sales and customer service arena. Mm-hmm. And then I have a, another broad category called other. And other is you want to hire me, but you don't have a specific sales meeting, leadership retreat, but you want me and the check clears. Yeah. So I'm very open <laughs> to that client base. Um, I'm, I'm really humbled you know my clients uh, motorola disney american express uh we work for some amazing companies and the truth is what they really want is a great laugh a good time in the meeting and some content Mm -hmm. you know so you need a couple of those nuggets for the sales process for a leader for someone in the meeting to use and I think speakers, and, and by speakers, I mean paid speakers. It's funny. For those of us who started out in the, in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, you said you were a speaker. Most people had no idea what that is. Right. Now, everybody's a speaker. Oh, man, everybody has given a talk. <laughs> so, you know, it gets very blurred within the workplace, you know, it doesn't have a number assigned to it as a career or as a category, but um, it's, it's pretty incredible. You know, it's, it's enabled me to travel the world and to work with amazing clients and really share a very simple but profound 
part of life that, you know, if you're not in touch with your sense of humor, <clears throat> you're probably not in touch with anything, mm -hmm. meaning you're taking the world far too seriously, for which there is no evidence. There is no great teaching on the planet that ever says you need to be more serious. You look at all the major religions, all the major great works of literature, and it's virtually not there. But what is there is kind of the universal, be kind, help others, you know, have a laugh along the way. Right. Seven Habits of Highly Successful Humorists, whatever the book may be. Mm -hmm. So when you go out to Disney or Motorola, these different places, I mean, what are some of the things that you share with them that are, you know, like some of the cores? You know, you already you, you hit on the immediacy part, and I, I certainly believe that, that, you know, those are some of the things that help us cope the most with different difficult issues. What are some of the things that you, you yeah. share with uh, the groups? Top secret. I am not giving it away on a podcast for free. <laughs> it is highly uh, confidential, and there is no need because I don't need 700 other people going out. And no. Um, <laughs> you know, was that good? Did you kind yeah, of get where good. I was going with good. that? Oh, I was hey. getting ready to say it checks in the oh. mail. <laughs> yeah. Everybody now is the podcast. Oh shit. I'm going to grab my pen. Here comes my next content. <laughs> um, it depends. So in, in a pre uh, program, pre presentation questionnaire, I'm always asking people, you know, how much humor do you want? How much content do you want? And know that at any given time, my content is fairly light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, but, as it relates to, you know, that number, 70% laughter, 30% content, the content needs to be solid and profound, mm -hmm. you know. So it's a matter of where they want to put it on the spectrum. And I say, is it a sales meeting? Is it a leadership meeting? But, you know, we'll talk about things like, you know, if you can't, if you can't laugh at yourself, you're truly not in balance in the world, mm -hmm. which is a nice way to say, if you're super arrogant, it's going to be hard for you to be a great leader. Oh, absolutely. Now that's very different than you need to have confidence and conviction in being a leader. And then we'll go into the true value, which is if you don't poke fun at yourself, other people will do it the moment you leave the room. I guarantee it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I, I always say, it, uh, go ahead. And I always, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer. I mean, having been in a lot of different leadership positions that it, that arrogance, yeah, kind of decreases uh, morale. But when you can laugh at yourself, I mean, it shows a little bit of self-confidence and it, it's uh, self-confidence that helps other people have, be a little more confident as well. That, you know, if you can make fun of yourself and not be afraid to take a risk and do something stupid, then, you know, in, in essence, you're kind of helping your people do the same thing. And that's where innovation or an engagement happens. And that's what we're really kind of needing today in uh, the workforce. I think it's, um, you know, humility is a great leadership trait, but you generally don't read that anywhere you see it described a lot of different ways and, mm -hmm. and I always say you know the thing about the the boss being able to poke fun at themselves is over the last 30 years our culture has really shifted 30 years ago in the workplace 
admit no mistakes. Because if you make a mistake, you could be fired. Mm-hmm. Now you go to a, a work environment like an Apple or a Google, and they're like, where are the mistakes? We need to highlight them. And who made them? They are the leaders of the organization because you're only making mistakes if you're a risk taker and you're pushing the envelope. Mm-hmm. That's how much it has changed in 30 years. So then you come back in and you say, well, mm-hmm. laughter, poking fun at yourself, good-natured humor gets you there quicker. And the truth is it takes some of the pain out of the mistake. You know, if we're realistic, we all make mistakes on a daily basis in one form or another. Some are big, some are small, Mm -hmm. you know. So humor to me is best at pointing out perspective, balance, as a human being, you know, if you're too overly invested and you're taking things too seriously, you're likely to have a bigger wound than if you're truly balanced and go, gosh, I made a mistake. I need to recover and I need to move on. And you know, what's the next thing. And then you can back that into, you know, our, our break rooms fun, (laughs) you know, or are they kind of sterile and hard plastic chairs and not a great place to be, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's stuff like that. It's not just looking in the mental <clears throat> world of thinking and talking and interacting, but humor, and I don't think it gets talked about a lot, really needs to be expressed in the in the physical world. How do you decorate your cubicle? Do you have, you know, fun at work? Um, you know, my wife is an eighth grade math science teacher. Oh, God bless her. And today is, yeah, today is superhero day. So she left for work with her Batman cape on. That is awesome. I find awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Um, well, cause middle schoolers, I mean, I don't like middle, I don't even, I didn't even like my own kids when they were middle schoolers. So, I mean, she's out there fighting yeah. the fight. So God bless her. I mean, that's awesome. It's Yeah. It's a tough time, but you know, what's interesting to me, and I agree with you, most people when you say Jesus middle school, that's, they have the same reaction you do, but, uh, but it's also a time when their, their minds start to come alive. They're thinking, they're, you know, interacting with the world and they're about ready to make decisions about, you know, what life is going to be for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and that's, you know, in a way, middle school or corporate America, that's the same thing we're doing as, you know, speakers and preachers of, of humor. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going into that environment and we're saying, hey, you might want to take a look at this, this, and this to see how it can benefit your workplace. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 30 years ago, uh, people like myself, you, Steve, Will, you know, we're all talking about humor and stress reduction, <laughs> you know, because stress was the big thing we were learning about <clears throat> in the 80s and 90s and, and how to manage it. And the truth is you could sell a stress reduction keynote or workshop that was funny easier than you could sell one that wasn't. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later, uh, managing change mm-hmm. was the new, you know, the paradigm had shifted. 
what is your organization doing to, you know, be on top of that? And again, humor is there in both of those scenarios because <clears throat> humor is your ability to rapidly shift between perceptions, mm -hmm. yours, the world's, the person next to you, or my favorite one is the person who's not laughing, <laughs> you know, we need to look at it realistically and we say, oh, hey, Chip, man, that guy is super funny. But you and I have had experiences where the people in our audience don't laugh. They right. don't get it. Does it mean they don't have a sense of humor? We have no idea. You know, are they having things personally? Who knows? Mm -hmm. We go out and do what we do because, like I say, it makes a difference in the world. And if you can teach someone to rapidly shift their perspective, then they have a, a higher likelihood of overcoming whatever challenge it is, whether it's in customer service, sales, leadership, change management, you know, yada, yada, yada. What is it? That's well, that's, and that's a, a great um, segue. Like for you personally, what are some of the things that you do to help your, help yourself? Like if you're, since you need to shift your perspective, what are some of the things that you do to, you know, find the humor in situations? Don't be afraid to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying, uh, oh, you meant more like in my workshop. So, okay, yeah. No. Uh, it's, it was taught to me. And, and this was something that I give credit to Joel Goodman because it really has stuck with me and I've had other people, you know, say this and, and it's this very simple shifting technique. How could your situation be worse? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we get so involved in, oh my gosh, I'm commuting and the traffic is extra heavy today and I'm going to be 10 minutes late or 30 minutes late or two hours late. How could it be worse? Mm -hmm. Could have lost an arm. Wow, Jim, that's awfully dramatic and over the top. And I'm like, does it happen to people? Yep. <laughs> does it happen because they're late in traffic? Well, maybe, <laughs> you know, if they do something stupid. Um, and, and you're like, but that's not funny. You're talking about being late in traffic and losing an arm. I'm like, does it change the way you think? Uh -huh. Long pause, silence. You know, I... Literally yesterday, it's it's unusually warm in California for late October. It'll probably be 85, 87 degrees. Stunning fall weather. And I'm always amazed there will be people who complain about how hot it is and why isn't it fall. Mm -hmm. And they will be the same people who complain when it rains. <laughs> and, and, you know, they're just on a constant cycle of whatever it is. They're not happy with it. Mm -hmm. I look at it from a different perspective. Uh, I am the youngest in my family of five kids. I have two older uh, siblings that passed away much younger than I am now. Mm -hmm. And so yesterday, I was going from some meeting. It wasn't anything particularly glamorous. And it was just a beautiful day outside. And I was kind of like, ah, you know, I got to get there. And it hit me, and this happens every now and then. I thought, this is a day my sister did not get to see. Mm. This is a day that I get to experience with all of its wonder and all of its glory, 
and all of its frustration. And that would be the case if I got a flat tire, if I won the lottery, which I have not won the lottery. Uh, <laughs> but it's all a matter of perspective. You know, right. one of the things I, uh, I'll do in a workshop is I say, let's play the lottery game. Who would like to win the lottery? Oh, they all go crazy. Pick an amount. You know, and people say 5 million, 10 million, 100 million. I say, you can pick any amount you want to win. You want to be the first $1 billion lottery? Do that. Mm-hmm. And then we'll go through an exercise where I ask them to spend 10% of whatever amount they imaginarily won within a day, and you can't pay bills, and you can't give any more than of that percentage, 5% to any one person. In other words, if, if we were in the workshop and I said, I have a billion dollars, so I want to give up. 100 million to my friend Chip, I can't. The amount is reduced. And the activity is profound, here it comes, and it shifts your perspective because you realize in your own life, we think if I had more money, I would be happy. Mm-hmm. And I create an exercise where it frustrates people to give away money because they realize how limited their thinking is. Right. Well, if I bought all my friends and family a house and then I still have and I – you know, and it's like, oh, oh Jim, I'm not, I'm not doing very well. I still have 50 million left. <laughs> you know, well, it's like, you, uh, you, can, you break that into no more than $5 million chunks, list out who you're going to give it to. It's almost like um, a practical application for people on the movie Brewster's Millions with uh, uh, Richard Pryor. I'm dating myself yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, good, good, obscure reference. I didn't see that one coming, but touche, my friend. Yeah, Brewster's Millions with who? What? I, oh yeah, that, I, with Richard Pryor. It was one of those movies that you know it was a flop, but I still saw it. Anyway, uh, yeah. But but the lesson in that is we think more money will make us happy, but when we look at it realistically, you probably make more now than you made 10 years ago. 10 years ago, if you said you had this amount, you'd be thoroughly happy. You now have that amount. Yes, everything else has gone up with it, mm-hmm. but you know, happiness isn't tied to money, to, th- to anything except how you think about it. Right. So, you know, but our thinking gets stuck on, and there's certainly a lot of multimedia messages in the world. If you had this, you'd be happy. And God knows Alexis makes me very happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, you know, it goes away after a while. Right. Alexis does not make me happy when I have to pay for a 50,000 mile service or a hundred thousand mile service mm-hmm. or a Ford headlight costs $15, but Alexis headlight costs $350. Mm-hmm. Where did my happiness go? Well, the truth is it wasn't in the Lexus. It isn't in the money. It's in, here comes the magic moment for the podcast. It's in you and how you see the world. Right. And I can just hear the crowd going, I just hear the applause, the one guy standing up, just clapping. That's it, maestro. The three tenors hit the note. That's it. (laughs) Angels sing. Oh, Oh, the choir (laughs) bus loose. It is amazing. And other people are going, holy shit, it's just in my head? <laughs> That's the secret of life. Have a nice That's, day. There it is. Don't forget to buy a book and tape on the way out. <laughs> <laughs>
Better yet, I have a value pack. <laughs> oh, you're so you're hilarious. Oh, I really enjoyed. I I've really enjoyed talking with you today. I mean, seriously, it's been a lot of fun. And you give me, I was just thinking about some different things that I've been considering, you know, on in, investing wise. And I was like, you know, just give me some different, a different perspective to have on things. So I appreciate that uh, personally. Thank you so much. If after today people want to find you, where do they, where do they go, Jim? Uh, they can find me on the internet at uh, laughterworks.com and, or it's the same website, Jim Pelly. Dot com P-E-L-L-E-Y. I'm on the Facebook, but my friends list is totally tapped out. But there's a, a business page called LaughterWorks Seminars and Jim Pelly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. I think, you know, what, what AATH folks can do best for this industry is endorse each other. You know, we all speak at XYZ Association or Corporation, and and the call comes back. Gosh, you know, we had you last year. I know you understand. We we can't have, you know, we don't want to repeat the same speaker maybe Mm -hmm. in a couple years. And then here it comes. Who do you know? And and that's our opportunity uh, to recommend uh, colleagues that we know and trust and, you know, have a reputation. We're in a gazillion different fee ranges up or down. But I think that's really important uh, to continue to edify the profession and support our colleagues uh, because certainly we've all had stories of somebody who, you know, wasn't professional or hadn't really been paid to give a talk but stumbled into a talk and, Right. You know, they weren't ready for it and it didn't go well. And, mm-hmm. and that hurts an entire industry. Oh, it does. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know uh, it's, uh, people say, wow, that's a lot of money for an hour of talking. And they say, hey, I got to be really clear. And you're not paying me for that hour. You're paying me for the lifetime of experience that I deliver in that hour. And the truth is my fee is a very small fraction of everybody's salary in the room for that time. Mm-hmm. If you want to risk having a juggler from Pier 39 who works for tips, <laughs> you know, you go ahead and go find that guy and, uh, and, and have him uh, talk to your sales force all earning in excess of 100 or 200,000 a year at your meeting at the Ritz-Carlton, and uh, we'll see how that works out for you. you know. This tips would be awesome that day. Idea. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you taking the time. People will say, (laughs) "Yeah, my pleasure." Are we uh, are we wrapping it up? Is that my cue? Well, that was I was about. No, (laughs) go ahead and finish your sentence before. (laughs) I didn't mean to. I I thought no, that's it. I'm done. That's good. I'm good. That's done. You're gonna guilt me. (laughs) That's okay. I'm done. It's fine. Yeah, I had I had I had my best and most profound point. No, we're good. That's good, Jim. No we're problem. Good. It's fine. Well, you can you can yeah. bring Jim in if you want to hear that last salient <laughs> point. Um, anyway, I appreciate it, and uh, I know that uh, our listeners will get a lot from the things you shared today. Thanks so much for spending the time with me. My pleasure. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. 
Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.